Welcome to Tall Poppy, episode three and third of four in the Human-Centered Leadership series. I'm your host, Tathra Street. Simon Terry has been an executive in finance and other industries and is now a change agent at Change Agents Worldwide. I first saw him when he was at a Yammer conference back in 2012, talking about how a very large organization can significantly increase their use of Yammer by having execs lead the way, sharing posts about meetings and answering questions. Since then, he's gone out on his own and is focusing on helping organizations adapt to the changing nature of work. He's known for his leadership in, among other things, the emerging concept of working out loud, which can seem a bit scary, although by the end of it, I felt better about the idea and more informed. We also talked about innovation and how traditional leadership styles and risk aversion can be antithetical to innovation. And that ultimately, the biggest risk to business today is the inability to innovate. I hope you enjoy, despite the sound quality. I'm uh, speaking with Simon Terry, who is a change agent at Change Agents Worldwide. And um, we're going to have a bit of a chat about his perspective of human-centered leadership. So, uh, Simon, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Tessa. It's great to be here. Excellent. So, tell me a little bit about how leadership fits into the work that you do. Well, the work I do is very much around helping organizations adapt to the changing nature of work. We're all seeing um, organizations struggle with a new digital economy, global networks, new sources of competition and new opportunities. And what people are gradually realizing is that they need to bring new ways of work to take advantage of this environment. And as you, as you start to think about working in new networked ways, ways that may have greater autonomy and purpose for employees, give people the opportunity to take control and improve their work, you start to come into a dynamic of rethinking some of our traditional models of leadership, some traditional models of how we might have organized our work. And that's where you know, I've becoming very much engaged with this question of what, what models of leadership are going to help organizations as they move forward into new ways of working. And that plays into areas like how they leverage innovation and collaboration. But it's very much at its core this question of how do we lead people to achieve more effective outcomes in our new networked economy. Excellent. So I'm going to take a step back and just ask you a little bit more of a personal question, if that's all right. Can you, uh, would you be willing to share with us what your biggest accomplishment as a leader has been? Well, I think in all of in all of the work I've done across a number of different industries. So I've worked in financial services, consumer goods, the e-commerce industry, and so on. So for me, the biggest the biggest achievement always comes down to a personal one. And it comes down to an approach I, I very much find uh, is, is one that, that's worked for me, which is to start with, what is an individual's goals? What are, the, what are my employees, my team, the people I'm working with in the broader environment, what are they setting out to achieve? Not so much in their job, but actually, you know, what are some of their personal goals? And I think when you sort of start from that dimension of what are people trying to achieve, I can then when I look back at some of the leadership opportunities I've had and some of the, the roles I've had uh, in leadership all the way up to CEO level, 
some of the greatest achievements are actually helping individuals to step forward and achieve something personally. Sometimes it's the next career move, and other times it's an opportunity to rethink their contribution to the organisation or to society or to make something possible for them in their life and their work that wasn't wasn't there before because of the leadership conversations and the work we've done together. Nice. That sounds great. Um, so let's get into the, the topic itself. Um, what does human-centred leadership mean to you? Well, I, I, I think one of the, the, the key concepts when you come and, and talk about leadership is that, you know, in, in our history, leadership's come to be tied up with ideas like hierarchy and roles people have, and, and, and leadership's become tied up in sometimes quite militaristic models, you know, command and control. And I think what the, the concept of human-centered leadership does is it brings us back to this idea that that a leadership conversation is a conversation between two individuals trying to come together and influence each other to get particular outcomes done, to inspire people to work more effectively and work in new ways. And, you can't, and that, that fundamental conversation that's at the heart of leadership must be personal. It must be based on an individual, their goals, their objectives, their needs and concerns, their personal purposes. And I think bringing our, our leadership conversation down from, you know, kind of right and power and instruction and role and position and starting to think about questions like authority and trust into personal dynamics, people's roles in the system, and how individuals can empower themselves through that kind of new leadership conversation to take on opportunities and to make change happen. Because I think a lot of people end up trapped by that sort of old model of leadership in saying, I can't do anything because I don't have a leadership position. When you open up the conversation and focus on the individual, suddenly you can say, well, actually, everyone has a capacity to make change. That's why they have work to do. The question is, how influential are they? And that's a different dynamic. In many organizations, the leadership hierarchy in terms of influence looks very different from the hierarchy in terms of roles and range of power. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit more about that because, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a believer in leadership at every level and I'm very curious about this idea we were talking about um, beforehand about rank and authority and how those two have been collapsed. Can you say a bit more about that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when we, we look at that traditional model, um, Authority and rank are often tied together. So people have a role in the system. Uh, that role, you know, might be CEO, it might be a manager role, or it might be some political leadership position. And what we're used to expecting is that that individual, you know, uses that role and the rank associated with it to force outcomes through through other individuals. Thank you very much for yeah, the really old school style. And what, what, what we all know is that, you know, non-compliance with orders in civil society is pretty high, yeah. right? You know, you've got, you've got the ability for outright disobedience to just strict compliance as ways to disrupt those traditional command and control models. And many organizations are intensely frustrated with the failure 
as we move into you know a much more modern, transparent, and open economy, they're, they're increasingly frustrated with well, how come the old rank and order model doesn't work? And the reality is, it never allowed for the engagement in individuals that comes through authority, because authority is not given to you by your role, authority is given to you by the people you lead. Mm. And authority is there very situational, it's contextual, you know, people will respond to people by saying, in this situation, I think the person who has the best insights to take us forward is this individual, and I'd like to be influenced by their views as I take my actions. I'll, I'll take my guidance from an authority figure who I trust. Mm. And so this becomes a much more interpersonal dynamic. It becomes something that's built off real authentic outcomes uh, in the relationship between individuals. You know, trust is, is, is granted based upon the behaviours and the relationship that individuals have. Absolutely. And, and as we were talking about before, the, the, in the work that I do, it's, it's very clear. And what I often talk about is without that base of trust, nothing else exists. And I'm, I'm curious to, to go a little bit further down the track of um, this idea around, you know, the, the spectrum of compliance, non-compliance, and, 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 you know, the role of trust in that. But also, given that innovation is such a prized uh, thing these days and that, you know, without any sort of, um, you know, without a solid foundation of trust, innovation can't really happen. And, and, you know, from a compliance perspective as well. So I'm curious if you could say a bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, you know, the first... The first barrier many organizations run into um, when they start to think about innovation is you can't order innovation. You know, innovation must be purposeful. It's a creative act. It requires people to take risks and to, to step into the possibility of failure. Um, you know, that, that, that model itself threatens our traditional mindsets around um, leadership because many of the traditional models of leadership are expertise-based. Yeah. You know, the person higher up the hierarchy tells you what to do because they know better. <laughs> Innovation is, is a learning model in many cases. So suddenly the person doing the work may be in the best position to know the way forward, to learn and understand this challenge. And so... You know, to, to leverage innovation, organisations need to start rethinking some of their leadership models to better handle the ability to fail, to let go of that expertise and learn in new ways, and particularly to be able to bring people in purposeful collaboration. Because if it's if it's always if all credit's going to go to the leader, because it's the leader's idea and we're just doing what they said you aren't leveraging the full capabilities and the full potential of individuals. You know, innovation is deliberately hard. Yeah. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Yeah. You know, there are obstacles to be solved. You need the best of everyone and you need the full commitment of everyone to really bring that to life. And I think there's this really interesting tension with risk aversion and uh, the the need for people to take risks in order to allow for for that creativity and innovation. What are your thoughts about that? Well, and I think that you know, that that change in the, the view of, of risk um, as as kind of inherent in our processes. You know, a lot of the history of management was around this idea of if we just deliver certainty of process, yeah, then we'll get certainty of outcome, and therefore we'll be more productive, right? And and you suddenly move into this world where it's like 
actually we need the uncertainty because the uncertainty is going to be the basis of learning. Learning is the basis of competitive advantage and it's the, the, the best foundation on which we drive change. Mm. Well, you need a different leader to create a learning environment. You need one that people have confidence has got your back, is supportive, is interested in developing you and developing the organization to take advantage of these risky learning opportunities. And importantly, you need, people need the sense that that leader is invested in the long term. They're invested in the hard work, not just a short term, this quarter outcome. Because otherwise, individuals are like, well, why would I take the risk if my leader may not be there to back me and support me through that work? So I think, you know, when you start to bring in this risk dynamic, it requires leaders who are much more mature in the way they think and, and also much more mature about the way they think about risk. You know, start stop looking at risk in a transactional sense mm. and start looking at risk in a systemic sense. The biggest risk to organizations today is their inability to innovate because their inability to innovate prevents their adaption and prevents them from being able to take advantage of market opportunities leaving the door open to others. If, you, if you're sitting there saying, we can never fail on a project, <laughs> you may be putting the entire business in jeopardy. And I think that requires a different, that's a different leadership perspective to open that view and really see a, a quite different way for organizations to be working and individuals to be leading. So I want to pick up on that idea about different ways of working, and I think there's um, a lot of opportunities for, uh, well, I, I can imagine, in, especially in the work that you've been doing around the future of work and working out loud and that sort of thing, um, that there are new practices that you would be encouraging for people to um, allow for innovation and to prepare for the future of work. Um, what would you say to organizations that are looking to implement some new practices? Yeah, well, I mean, for me, there are really four key practices that an organization should have a view on and be developing in their organization. So the, the, the first of those is some approach of building the capability of its people to operate in a digital information economy. And so that demands new approaches to personal knowledge management. It, it demands people to start thinking about how they, where they get their information from, how they make sense of it, and how they share it. Building off that idea of sharing, one of the great opportunities that our connected um, economy offers us is the chance for people to work out loud, to deliberately and purposefully make their work visible to others in, in ways that help those others to learn or to collaborate with individuals. And so working out loud can be a big step forward. So can you say a bit more about that? Because like, I, th- I can imagine a lot of our listeners haven't heard of the concept of working out loud. So what does, what does that mean and what does it actually look like? Yeah, so at its simplest level, um, working out loud is the combination of making work visible and narrating that work in a way that gives others context on your objectives and your goals and the process you're using. The advantage of doing that, that narration is that it enables people to see work as it's happening and to make decisions to contribute to that work or to watch it and learn from that process of work. Can I say so when I know, hear you talking about that, I, I suddenly feel very vulnerable and I think, wow, would I really want 
someone to see my process and especially with this idea that you know we we want to put our best face forward and um, it's just very counter to the idea and I was just thinking about it from a blog you wrote the other day with the quote at the top about um, we compare our work to other people's um, highlight reels so yeah can you say a bit more about that well and that, and that does I mean so, so the first the, the point you're highlighting and I, and I call it the kind of trembling figure the trembling so what? the trembling finger. Okay. So when someone wants to share some of this stuff, there's always that moment when your finger just hang, hovers over the return button <laughs> yeah. and trembles for a minute about, am I actually going to press submit yeah. or click the mouse to make this happen? But, but we, and, and, and that's natural because what we've been brought up to think is that knowledge is power, impressions are everything, we, we should put our best face forward, etc. But the, but the nature of our digital economy is that knowledge shared is everything. Mm. Um, people get to see everything anyway. They they get you know they understand how fast we're doing stuff. They get to they don't necessarily see every step of that process. We can still curate what we share out loud. Yeah. But if we if we if we choose to share out loud things which provide benefit to us and provide benefit to others then we're starting to get an opportunity to be far more effective in our work and to, and to accelerate the pace at which we and others learn and collaborate. And that's where the benefits lie. So and it's so not it, necessarily about, you know, having my screen available via YouTube channel so people can see my process. It's actually about curating and being mindful of, of the, the learning benefits, I suppose. Is that, is that yeah, and, and making, yeah, making it's, it's, so it's certainly not, I mean, I, I often draw that some people react to it by knowing, well, isn't that just massive egotism to think that everything you're doing should be relevant to the world? We're not actually asking you to do that. We're actually saying the opportunity is, if you're doing something that's, that's a learning experience for you, who else might benefit from that? And how could you share it in a way that they're able to accelerate that benefit? And, and or... Who, who else might be able to contribute to your project? The commonest thing that happens when you start to work out loud is people start to guide you on where the benefits are, and they start to guide you on work that's already been done. So, you know, that, that ability to accelerate work and benefit from a process of working out loud is why many people are taking this up as a practice. And so I'm curious about how um, I'm starting to form some ideas in my head about how this links to human-centered leadership, but I'm interested to hear how, how you see that it links. Well, I think that one of the, one of the links is that, um, you know, to, do, to, to work out loud effectively, you have to have a think, you have to have an awareness of what your networks are as you do your work. You have to have a think about what your purpose is in those networks and what the purposes of others are in those networks. You become much more aware of the interdependencies and the relationships that sit around your work. And I think that, that sort of works into that foundation of human-centered leadership, which is an awareness of the relationships with others and their goals and their, their objectives. And I think then the flip side is the way human-centered leadership works into working out loud because just a minute ago we were talking about real anxieties and real learning process that people have to go to to adopt this practice. 
Well, they need leadership support. They're going to need coaching and guidance, and they're going to need to develop their own practice in a way that works for them and their work. And that's going to take a very human form of leadership that's very much centered on what their work is and what their goals are, and adapt to the needs of each individual. Because no two people will work out loud in exactly the same way. Mm, uh, one of the things we've resisted here is the idea that there is an exact formula. Hmm. Um, it isn't. It's, depend- it's very contextual. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that whole thing, and I'd love to talk about it more, but I'm going to bring it back to um, perhaps there might be other ways that you think that the, that we can increase human-centered leadership in the world and what these new practices might be. Well, for, for, for me, one of the core ones is is to encourage people to begin with conversations about purpose. Okay. So, you know, when, when you, when you, in an organization, you ask individuals and groups of people to think about what the purpose of their work is, often that can change the complexion of what people are doing. And it brings those relationships and those dynamics um, to the surface very quickly. So, you know, having purpose as, as, as a regular conversation, as something you surface from the work that people are doing, brings people closer to a much more human conversation about work. So we stop seeing work as roles and jobs and outputs and process, and we start to see people as, as see work as, uh, a, a, you know, information and relationships and, and, and dynamic exchange between individuals. And I think that's where we get a whole new raft of opportunities to create value, to create new experiences for people, and importantly, to allow people to build capability and achieve their personal purposes. Mm. Yeah, I think purpose-oriented businesses are certainly, um, it, you know, it's become a bit of a buzzword in, in, way, in many ways, but I think that it's really starting to gain some currency. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the buzzword tends to come about because people's idea of purpose becomes we asked the executive committee what the purpose of the organization was and they gave us a short paragraph with carefully crafted phrases. <laughs> um, you know, the, or we hired a consultant to help us craft those phrases. Yeah. You know, for me, I'm talking about something that starts at the other end of the spectrum. It really, you know, the purpose of an organization is the shared part of individuals' personal purposes to be there. It's the it's the tangible impact in the world. One of the questions I like to ask individuals in organizations is, you know, when is this organization at its best? Mm, great question. And you, you ask that question and, you know, people are never talking about, you know, we, we achieved our performance outcomes by more than 20%. They start with some you know, situation, they tell a little story, their eyes light up, you hear the passion in their voice and they say, you know, we never thought we could do something this for this customer or we never thought we could do this for the stakeholder, but guess what we were able to do? Mm. And what you're doing there is you, you, you're having a conversation about that organization's purpose, how it comes together to ex- ex- surprise itself in its ability to make an impact in the world. Beautiful, I love it. So I'm going to change uh, track a little bit again and just bring it down to a little bit more of a personal level. I wonder if you'd be willing to tell us about an experience where you changed yourself to improve your own leadership. Oh, sure. Um, if it's here, it's um, uh, because I think this is the you know this is the thing that uh, again the old-fashioned model of leadership doesn't doesn't necessarily allow. 
allow is that realization that you know leaders are learning and practicing all the time. I mean, I remember back to my very first leadership role, and I was I was young, and, and it was the first opportunity to lead a team, and I thought I was doing a great job. Um, and the, one of the best things was I had a very senior person in my team, and after I'd been leading this team for a month. This very senior team member took me aside and he said, um, look, you know, hey, I've gathered that you're kind of really, you know, in, in, I gathered why you got the job. Like, you know, we could see your potential. But, you know, you're all wrapped up in the role and the process. And frankly, you know, we're people. So when are you going to start talking to us? Wow. Like people. Yeah. And it was, a, it was just one of those beautiful leadership interventions from a team member to pull me up in a very early stage of my career and go, stop focusing on the status, the role, the rank, and actually start focusing on one-to-one conversations with the individuals, understanding what's going on, spending more time in their work and their and helping them. And you know, I was making some I was making some classic leadership issues where I was assuming my entire team worked the way I worked. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and as we sort of dove into that together, I realized, actually, everyone had a different style. And they, the benefit of us getting together and talking about individual styles and goals and ways of working was we could then create a much stronger team dynamic. Yeah, so that's, that's one example. I mean, I think later in my career, probably one of the big um, challenges was around... Um, I've I, I, I been in a role for a long time. I was kind of questioning where I was going and, and you know you can you can often end up in that situation where your foot's kind of half in an organization and half out oh, yeah. and you, you started to think about the future and maybe it's time for a move and, and and I suddenly realized that I was undercutting my leadership effectiveness in the organization because I needed to make a decision to commit fully or to yeah. get out yeah. and, and when I committed fully all of a sudden, a completely different dynamic created was created in my relationships with other people in the organization. Because what was happening, because my book was half out, I was having these transactional conversations. Uh, I was starting to think about, oh, this may not matter to me because I'm leaving. And, and so learning to re-engage with that sense of belonging, that commitment to the group of people and why are we there, was an amazing step forward in my leadership at that time, and, and suddenly opportunities came my way that made it beyond doubt that I was staying. And I think that's a really, you know, that's a great experience to have because it just always now is a question when I'm leading and working is, am I committed enough to be a leader in this context? Fantastic. I can't be less committed than my team. Mm, yeah. Wow, thank you for sharing that with us. That's really, really amazing. Um, Pardon me, last question. What would you say to the listeners about uh, becoming or increasing human-centered leadership? So I I think, you know, we have to start with the really simple things in our world. Every day we work through our organization and we're surrounded by people. It's very easy to get busy, to get distracted, to, um, to, to, in a sense, become absorbed in our own challenges, our own work, and our own problems. To become a human-centered leader, turn on our awareness of the individuals in our environment. Start thinking about 
angels start asking them different questions, start challenging them in different ways, and start helping them to achieve their goals and build their flexibility. For me, that simple step of becoming aware of the human nature of our work and our environment um, brings us so much further down the journey towards Beautiful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, you speaking with us today. Thank you very much, Catherine, and thank you for this podcast. It's great to have people starting this conversation. The emphasis on relationships and supporting people to achieve their own objectives is what stood out for me in this conversation. Simon's experience and perspective is very aligned with this emerging and evolving idea of human-centered leadership, and he's a real advocate for rethinking traditional models of leadership, which is what Tall Poppy is all about. Check our website for links to Simon's blog. I highly recommend it, especially if you're interested in this idea of working out loud or learning more about change agents worldwide. In the next episode, we talk to Jan Owen, CEO of the Foundation for Young Australians, for the final part of the Human-Centered Leadership series. If you've enjoyed this, share the love via social media, like it, write a review, and we invite feedback. You can drop us a line at our email, poppy at tathrastreet.com. And we're interested in who you think we should interview. I'm your host, Tathra Street, and I'm inviting you to come and have a look at the website. Check out the pre-sales for my book on human-centered leadership. It's at tathrastreet.com, T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T-R-E-E-T.com. So you can sign up and get the latest, find out about new episodes of the podcast and coming events, because we're all about changing the face of leadership. So please join us for Tall Poppy as we highlight the new voices of leadership one conversation at a time.